God's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. The Bible is a book that was written over a period of 1,500 years. Uh, the last book being written some 2,000 years ago. Why would we look at a book that old? Because the Bible is, as it claims itself to be, the Word of God. Not man's Word, but the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Peter said, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, this book is the Word of God. And somebody says, well, how do you expect me to believe that this is the inspired Word of God? How do we know that there are not additions of men and ideas presented by men? And that's a good question. I understand that question. God created the universe as an act of his own will. Now, if God has the power to create the universe, he has the power to inspire men to write a book and to keep the words of that book preserved. And that's what we have in the Bible. And we're going to be considering a passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 10, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And in this chapter, the writer is talking about the ceremonies and the sacrifices of the old covenant that God gave to Moses, the sacrificial system and the priests and what they mean. Now, I think this is interesting that if you would have looked in the tabernacle, there would be, that's the tent that God gave to Moses that had the furniture, and it had the Holy of Holies, and only once a year the high priest could go in and offer a sacrifice. You couldn't go in at any other time. Now, if you would have looked into that tabernacle, and later on in the temple, when it was built during Solomon's time, there's one piece of furniture that you would find conspicuously absent, a chair. Now, in my home, every room has a chair. But in the tabernacle, in the temple, there was not a chair. And if you would, by the grace of God, look into heaven, and the scripture records this, this is not just a guess. If you would look into heaven, what is the most conspicuous piece of furniture? A chair. A chair that is a throne, the throne of God. Now let's keep that in mind as we consider this passage of Scripture. I have entitled this message, The Sitting Savior. The Sitting Savior. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. And every priest, that's talking about the Old Testament priests. And let me say this also, since the coming of Christ, there's only one priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. If a man claims to be a priest in uh, any other sense than every believer's a priest, that man is a fraud. There's only one priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. But under the Old Testament economy, there were many priests. And it says in verse 11, And every priest standeth. Now that word is presented as in the tense that means that's all he ever did. He was always standing. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now we think of the priests under the Old Testament economy. They went through all the different functions of a priest and offering the sacrifice and the showbread and lighting the candles and keeping the incense going. Their work was never done. There was no chair in the tabernacle or in the temple where they could sit down because their work was finished, always standing, daily ministering, oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of the Lord Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. Something no Old Testament priest ever did. He sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath Listen to the language. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The sitting Savior. After he offered this one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down. Having finished the work, the Father gave him to do. The sitting Savior. Now, this action of him sitting was prophesied in the Old Testament. In Psalm 110, we read these words, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. This Sitting down was prophesied in the Old Testament. Let me say this also. Seeing him sitting, and I'm not talking about the posture of sitting, and I'm not talking about a physical sight, but understanding the implications of this thing of him sitting down and what that means. Seeing him sitting is seeing what someone sees when they See the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Let me give you a scripture that represents what I'm saying. 
Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, In the king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now if you and I ever behold Christ by faith, we're going to see him sitting And we're going to understand what that means by him sitting. Now back to our text, we read in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 10, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now, there were many priests during this 1400 year period when God inspired Moses to speak of the Aaronic priesthood and when Christ finally came and that priesthood was done away with, but there were many thousands of priests. And these priests were offering oftentimes, they were continually offering these same sacrifices. And one thing these sacrifices never did, they never took away sins. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. Somebody says, why did you have all that blood in the Old Testament? Why all those sacrifices? They were given to point to the one coming sacrifice that would take away sin. But under this Aaronic priesthood, there were many of them. They were always standing because their work was never finished and their sacrifices could never take away sins. But now speaking of Christ, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, As opposed to the many sacrifices of the Aaronic priesthood, this man offered only one sacrifice for sins. And what did this man do? He sat down. All the Aaronic priests, the priests after the order of Aaron, they never sat down because their work was never done. But this man sat down. And here's why. You know how I said those other priests, their sacrifices could never take away sin? This man's sacrifice took away sins. And do you hear that? His sacrifice took away sins. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Now, he sat down because he did what he intended to do, put away sins. He did put away sins so much that in this same passage of scripture, we read of a non-remembrance of sins. In verse 17 of this same chapter, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now this is God speaking. And he says with regard to those 
that Christ died for, that this great high priest represents. He says with regard to those people, their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. Now, the only way God cannot remember something, listen to me, he's got a lot better memory than you and I have. We have forgotten most of the sins we've committed. But if I'm outside of Christ, God remembers them all. They're all written down in a book. But with regard to everybody that Christ represents as a high priest, with regard to everybody that Christ died for, there is a non-remembrance of sins because there are no sins there to remember. Verse 12, but this man. Now I think it's very interesting that in the original, uh, the word man, as we read it, is not there. It's put in many of the other translations, but he. But man is a good uh, word to be put here, but there's many other things that could be put here. This king, this priest, this God-man, this glorious one, this successful one. It's almost like there's not a good enough word to use, but this, very much like the angel said to Mary when he announced the, uh, her conceiving the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost. And he says, that holy thing which shall be in thee, like the angel himself could not come up with a word appropriate to describe the glory of of the second person of the Trinity, this holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This man, this God-man, this king, this priest, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, as opposed to many, he offered one sacrifice for sins. Now, this man, earlier in this chapter, we read in verse 5, Wherefore, when he, speaking of the same one, this man, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. God never had any satisfaction in the sacrifice of an animal. Burn offerings in sin, thou wouldst not. But a body hast thou prepared me. Now before the Son of God came, he didn't have a physical body. He was spirit, just like God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He did not have a physical body. But man sinned, and man must die, and the only way he could save men is by becoming a man. God manifest in the flesh. He said, A body hast thou prepared me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it's written of me to do thy will, O God. Now, this man, in this body, prepared for him by God, this man in his body kept God's law perfectly. 
Somebody has to keep God's law perfectly. He did. He never sinned. And in this body, he bore the sins of his people. Peter says, who in his own body bear our sins. He bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Now, I want you to think about this. God can do this. God, I can't do it. I remember one time hearing a preacher that was caught up in some kind of scandal and they were interviewing him and he talked about this scandal and he said, well, I put that sin under the blood. And I remember thinking to myself, you can't do that. You can't up, just up and undiscriminately say, I'm going to put that sin under the blood. The only one who can do that is God. And here's what God has done. God has taken the sins of his people and lifted them off of them and placed them in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ so that in his body he became guilty. Guilty. That's why God killed him. He was dying as the sin-bearing substitute. Now, sin can't be two places at once. If it was taken off me, I don't bear that sin anymore. He bore that sin in his own body on the tree. That's why he was there. And in his body, he put away that sin. Now, I love thinking about this. In Old Testament worship, Three things you had to have. You had to have a sacrifice. You had to have the altar that God required to present that sacrifice. And you had to have a priest. Christ Jesus is the altar. Christ Jesus himself is the sacrifice. Christ Jesus himself is the priest. He is all in all. Now look what it says this one did in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. Oh, the significance of that is he finished the work God gave him to do. He sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Now, he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, only one. And the reason he only offered one is because whatever was he intended to do, he did. He put away the sins of everybody he died for, and he sat down because his work was finished. Now, think about this. What did the Lord intend to do in his great sacrifice? In John chapter 17, verse 4, that great high priestly prayer of Christ for his people, he made this statement, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Now that's what Christ did. By his death, he glorified God. This is the ultimate act of God's glory. He did what God intended for him to do. He glorified God. Let me say this about the cross. The cross glorifies God. 
It glorifies every attribute of God. He says, I've glorified thee on the earth. I've finished the work thou gavest me to do. Now on the opening page, the opening chapter of the New Testament, we read, for thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He said, I finished that work. That's why he sat down. Now, let me read you some scriptures with regard to setting down. Um, when he describes the coming judgment, he says, The Son of Man shall sit down on his throne of glory. And that's when he shall separate the sheep from the goats. When the high priest, before his crucifixion, said, Are you the Son of the Blessed? He said, I am. And hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power. When he ascended back to glory after the resurrection, in Mark 16, 9, we read, And he was received into heaven and sat down on the right hand of God. When Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost to the literal murders of Christ, he tells them the Lord is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And that's when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? After he said, this same Jesus whom you crucified, God hath made both Lord and Christ. In Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, we read that God raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand far above all principalities and powers. Paul said to the Colossians, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Revelation 21, 5 says, And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. You know what that means? He gave me a new history. Because of what he did, my history is perfection. Behold, I make all things new. He can do that. And with regard to judgment in the book of Revelation, those who do not believe are said to cry, to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. Now, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now sitting because his work in putting away of sins is finished. Beloved, don't look for him to do anything else. It's already done. He has finished the work the Father gave him to do. He is the one and only object of faith. Don't look anywhere but the sitting Savior. He's sitting, not pacing back and forth. The sitting Savior, ruling and reigning, interceding for his people, controlling every event undisturbed by any kind of opposition. He's sitting in royal splendor as the King of kings and the Lord of lords at the right hand of his Father. Sitting as our intercessor, representing his people. You know, when Stephen was being stoned, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He stands up to receive his faithful martyr. And my dear friend, he stands up to receive every one of his people and embrace them 
as his own. But here's something else he's doing other than sitting. Look in verse 13. From henceforth expecting. Simply waiting. Not wondering when it's going to take place. Waiting for it to take place. According to the promise of the Father. From henceforth expecting till his enemies. Now everybody that's not a believer will be found to be his enemy. And if you're his enemy, you're in trouble. Here's a battle you cannot win. He's expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Verse 14, 4. By one offering, talking about that offering that we read of in verse 12. By that one offering, here's what he accomplished by that one offering. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, don't miss this. Who is it he perfected? Them that are sanctified. What's that mean? That's a big word. It's not a word we hear often or use often. What does sanctification mean? Well, it means to take something common and ordinary and set it apart. For holy purposes. I was sanctified. Every believer was sanctified. Set apart by the Father before time began to be holy. I was sanctified when Christ said it is finished. God declared he's holy. He has no sin. By what Christ did. I'm sanctified when I'm born of the Spirit. And given a holy nature. It's called the sanctification of the Spirit. Now it's the sanctified that are perfected forever. Those God has chosen, those Christ has redeemed, those God the Holy Spirit has given life to. But it says, by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, you know what that means? If he died for me, I am absolutely perfect before God. And I can't be anything less than that. And I can't be be anything more than that in the sense that you can't improve on perfection. I stand before God having never sinned. And my dear friend, that's what justification is. He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. And if he died for me, I have been perfected. And even right now, as I'm speaking to you, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father as my great intercessor. And that's the way it is for every believer. Listen to this scripture. Romans chapter 4, verse 34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather, that's risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? who also maketh intercession for us. He represents me. And it's not that he's pleading, oh, let him get by uh, this one more time since he's committed that sin. No, he simply sits before the Father and him being there as my representative is all that needs to be said. And this one who's sitting will one day come again. And our prayer, those who are perfected forever, who are Uh, ready because of his work for them. Our prayer is even so, come Lord Jesus. Now we have this message. If you get on the church website, you can get a copy or, or write or email the church. 
or call. This is Todd Knopper praying God will be pleased to make himself known to you. That's our prayer. Amen. To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nybert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen.